What a great um, opportunity this is to be able to share something I'm super passionate about. Um, for those of you who are just beginning to read Emotionally Healthy Spirituality or maybe your first, um, your first taste of it has been here on Sunday morning. It's, this has been a journey that I've been on for quite a while, um, not just the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, but just an understanding of how critical it is to be emotionally healthy on this journey that we're on. Uh, just look at what's happening around us in the world, right? I mean, just everything that's happening um, is, is overwhelming. And, and so to be able to, to be an individual who can be a listening ear, to be a person who's patient and loving and caring, someone who can be in the midst of people's chaos and care for them the way that Christ would call us to care for. So um, I'm going to just pray for, for what's happening and with, for Mark and, and for Benji and, and that, they, that they, would, um, they would return home safely. Lord, would you turn our hearts to the mission that's occurring? Lord, may they feel our prayers and know that we love them and care for them. Lord, not only Pastor Mark and Pastor Benji, but every single person represented by, representative by the Father's house. Lord, we lift them up and we ask you to care for them. Be with them. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, Pastor Larissa shared with you about the wall. This thing that every single one of us come against at some point in our life. Now, I want to I clarify, the wall is not an inconvenience. The wall is not daily traffic, right? The wall is not the continual long line at Ralph's in Mission Valley, no matter what time you go there. It is not the wall. The wall is a diagnosis. The wall is a partner leaving. The wall is a death of a loved one. The wall is something that hits us and shakes us to our core. And every single person in this room has faced something. And if you haven't, you will. It's a promise. We're human. So I wanted to take a few minutes and share with you my wall a very significant wall that I experienced. It's January 2018, and Brenda and I are coming off of a particularly difficult ministry season. I had taken over a church that I'd felt like the Lord had called me to pastor over 20 years prior. I was youth pastor at this church, and I felt at some point God was going to call me to pastor. The Lord brought us through a church split, and many other roller coaster like events in a very short time. And so, as a celebration, we do what normal people do we went to Disneyland. We, we have found that for Brenda and I, it's just someplace fun for us to decompress. And so, we decided to go to Disneyland. We took our kid, one of our sons, with us. And the weekend leading up to the Disneyland trip, I started having a difficult time keeping food down. Um, I had a difficult time drinking liquids. I, I felt extreme indigestion. I had upper abdomen pain. 
And then at Disneyland, I had a hard time keeping up with the family to the point where it became an annoyance, like what's happening? And I didn't think it was anything that big of a deal. I just assumed it was something with my digestion. And so we, we finished the trip, we went home, and I was having some shortness of breath. It was another symptom that was piled on. We're talking about a week and a half, two weeks. And at, at that time, we had a daycare on our campus, and, and the, the daycare director, her name was Pam, and I would go down there at least two or three times a week and spend some time with Pam and just hear what, you know, what she was going through and dealing with, and she noticed that I was sweating. She noticed that I was having shortness of breath. And I shared with her, yeah, it's been about a week and a half. And she said, you need to go to the hospital. And I said, no, no. In a couple days, I plan on going to the doctor. No big deal. No, no big deal. She grabbed me by the face. And she said, go to the hospital now. And so I did. I went to the VA hospital in Las Vegas and they started running tests. They brought me back very quickly. I started to panic a little bit. What is happening? And they told me, there's something going on with your heart. And so, there's something going on with your heart. It's not something you want to hear at the doctor. So they took me in the back and they ran me through an angiogram. And the doctor, I was awake, and the doctor said, Everything looks great. All of your pipes are clean, man. Awesome. Well, what's the problem? We don't know. So a day went by, another day went by, and a few doctors streamed into the room. I was by myself. The family had gone home. And they said, we waited for your family to leave before we came in because we have to have this conversation with you. They said, as as, as odd as it sounds, are you a meth user? I said, excuse me? No. Do you have an alcohol problem? No. Are you addicted to cocaine? No. We don't know what's going on with your heart, but the only other thing that can be is you've somehow caught a virus and that virus has attacked your heart, and it's enlarged it. And as it beats, it cannot keep up with what your body needs. And so your ejection fraction, which is the, the, the percentage they use of the blood pumping through your body, is somewhere around 20 to 25%. Anything below 35%, and you're at risk of sudden cardiac death. Everything changed in the blink of an eye. Everything changed. I would spend countless sleepless nights wondering why. What did I do? I wouldn't want to go to sleep for fear of not waking up. I wanted to be a grandpa. I wanted to grow old with my beautiful wife, Brenda. So we made a decision to resign the pastorate that I had waited 20 years for because my health was more important. But none of it made sense. 
And I know that there's some of you in this room who can totally relate to a story like that. It doesn't make sense. Why? Why me? Why now? So the pathway of emotional health that we're talking about is called enlarging your soul through grief and loss. Now, why do we need pathways toward emotional health? Because emotional health and spiritual maturity, hear me now, are inseparable. Emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. We are moving in the new family of God from defensiveness to approachability. Come on. We're moving from low self-awareness to high self-awareness. We're moving from isolation to delight in being with others. We're moving from blame to taking responsibility. We're moving from sinful anger to non-reactivity. We're moving from fear to courage and from addiction to freedom. What is enlarging your soul? What does it mean to have your soul be enlarged? This is what it means for me. It's becoming a place where others can take refuge. It's becoming a person who has a listening heart. It's becoming a person who is a grace-filled presence. It's becoming patient. Just the other day, I was on Twitter, shocker, and, uh, and, and somebody was tweeting, what are the three things that every dad should teach their son? And, it, and of course, it just it ran the gambit, right? How to drive a stick shift, how to change a tire, you know, how to, you know, you name it, it, it was there. And I thought for a second, what are the three things that I really wish my dad would have taught me? And they were how to regulate my emotions. How to speak softly and gently. How to be someone who pays attention to the needs of others around me. You see, we typically attribute those attributes to females in our society. But imagine a world where all of us were focused on those things. So loss is a place where self-knowledge and powerful transformation can happen. Psalm 62, 8 says, Trust in him at all times, O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. We all face many deaths in our lives. The choice is whether these deaths will be terminal, crushing to our spirit and our life, or open us to new possibilities and depths of transformation in Christ. Staying with Jesus during these challenging times, remaining, abiding, communing with him makes all the difference in the world. But our Christian culture, not just our culture, our Christian culture 
has a way of working through issues of stress and grief and loss. Can anybody name the first one? Stuff it. If you're depressed, where's your faith? Sadness is seen as a form of weakness. We push those feelings down so that we can be that rock for the people around us. Maybe the second one is screaming and wailing with very little hope. Addiction, food, alcohol, church work. Hyper-spiritualizing. Oh, how are you doing? Couldn't be better. God works all things together. You just can't see it yet. The term for that is spiritual bypassing or the pathway using God to run from God. When a situation seems overwhelming, rather than sitting with those overwhelming feelings and taking them before the Lord as David did, it's easier to throw a wet blanket over everything. Example by our quick response to anything that's tragic, well, God is on the throne. Never been a more true statement, but does it minister to the issue in the moment? It invalidates the feelings of individuals. Feelings are what make us human. And God works in those feelings to get us to a place where he wants us to be. When we use the word of God as a hammer, every situation becomes a nail. I feel anxious. Whack! The Bible says don't be anxious. I wonder what the future holds. Whack! God knows the plans he has for you. Dan Allender an innovator in trauma and abuse therapy says it like this, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality and reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. In neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. Now, I know that that sounds different from what a lot of us have learned in church. I know that that maybe is a different pathway than what you're used to. We are a very pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstrap society. We, as a, as, a, as a Christian culture and an American culture, are... Figure it out. God is good. It's going to be okay. Don't be sad. Don't cry. And the reality is, is that all through Scripture, we see examples. Let me just take you to one. It's in Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 39. And you can read along if you'd like, but let me read it for you. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said with them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. 
He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now, as we're reading this, insert yourself into the story. You are the one who Jesus is looking to for comfort. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus is looking into your eyes. He's saying, I'm overwhelmed to the point of death. Would you stay here so that I know you're present and keep watch and pray? And our Christian response, well, Jesus, all things work together for good. So put your trust in God. Everything's going to be okay. Imagine. Imagine in that moment. And going a little further, he fell to his face to the, fell, fell with his face to the ground and prayed, "My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will." Jesus was sorrowful to the point of death. And what did he want in that moment? He wanted those closest to him to be present and to sit with him as he took his petition before the Lord. The Bible says, in this world you will have trouble. Suffering and loss are a part of this life. And there is a theology of grieving, a theology of grief and loss that the Bible takes us through. Can you go ahead and put that up, a theology for, for grief and loss? It'd be the next one. All right. Number one, this is going to be the hardest one for us. Pay attention. Pay attention. You heard Pastor Vince say, I think at one point during this, this series, he said, Your emotions are like children on a vacation. They're not in the driver's seat, and they're certainly not in the trunk. There's something that has to be done with them. And so the, the, the simple pathway, the first portion of this theology of grief and loss is just paying attention. We do not like the difficult emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. We don't like them at all. We want to hurry through them. We want to rush through them as quickly as possible. But the theology of grieving and loss through Scripture is to pay attention to those feelings. Imagine, I do not feel good about this. I will sit with you as long as it takes, as you process it. Job, what did Job say? May the day of my birth perish. If only my anguish could be weighed and all of the misery be placed on scales, it would surely outweigh the sands of the sea and the arrows of the Almighty are in me. David Two-thirds of the Psalms of David are laments. There's an entire book of the Old Testament called 
Ezekiel lamented, Daniel grieved, Jesus wept over Lazarus, Lazarus and cried out in grief over Jerusalem. Biblical grieving calls us to pour out our feelings and our losses and our grief before the Lord. Not hurry through it. But it's uncomfortable. I don't like what it brings up in me. I don't like that I feel down. I'm supposed to feel happy. I especially don't like it when those around me are grieving and I want them not to grieve because it's uncomfortable for me. But the key is to pay attention. There's something that God wants you to know when those feelings of anger, sadness, and fear begin to come up in you. And hurrying through them, ignoring them, doesn't get us to that place. The second thing is to wait in the confusing in-between. This is often called the liminal space, the space between things, the space between the grief or the loss or the, the death or whatever is occurred and something that is going to happen on the other side. We hate waiting. We hate it. But that's where God does his best work in us as we wait for him. The confusing in between resists all earthly categories. We want quick solutions. It runs contrary to our entire culture. What are you going to do next? How are you going to recover? What's going to happen? I don't know. Can I just give you a little tidbit that has set me free in so many areas? God is not in a hurry. He's just not. But boy, we are. Waiting on him is life. Waiting on him brings the things that we need to recover from whatever it is we're recovering from. It's lonely. It's terrifying. It's, it hurts. But when we are at our weakest, how many know God shows up? And the third is to let the old birth the new. Now, this is way into the process. The central message of Jesus and the Bible is that suffering and death always lead to resurrection, transformation, and new beginnings. That's the central story. We go through difficult things, we suffer, there's death, there's resurrection, and new beginning, and new life. But for us as individuals, we don't seem to understand that that is the process for our lives. But there are many in this room who have gone through very difficult things and they've discovered 
God is in the middle of those difficult things. And their life begins to transform because they are walking through those processes slowly. But there are also people in this room and people around the world who are stuck at their wall. And they're stuck asking themselves and asking God, why me? Why this? Why, why, why? And they stay at the wall their entire life. God wants us to come through the wall and to seek him. The Bible says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Our God is alive. If we follow the biblical process of grief, it always leads to resurrection of some sort over time. So since my experience at the wall, there's a few things that have happened. I realize that I am, I don't know a lot. That feeling of, of certainty, that feeling of I know a lot, kind of faded away. That feeling of being curious and wondering, being hopeful, began to flood in because of the faithfulness of what God did. God has used my wife and I since this experience to love many pastors through their own walls. We helped for a season in transitioning churches through painful transitions, long-term transitions. I was asked to be a part of what's called the Foursquare Safeguarding Team and whose job it is is to advocate for victims in cases of abuse and abuse of power, spiritual abuse. God walked me through a master's degree in organizational leadership. He's currently walking me through a second year of another master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. And those things are fine. But since my experience through the wall, I've learned to speak softer most of the time. Right, honey? I've learned to love better. I've learned to care for others deeper. I've become keenly aware of my limits. You're not limited, Pastor Kev. God is on your side. Trust me, I'm human. I'm limited. I've become keenly aware of my shadow side the shadow side of my personality that wants to rear its ugly head time and time again. I still make a ridiculous number of mistakes, but I've learned that that's how I grow. So, so the call this morning to understanding the pathway of enlarging your soul through grief and loss and understanding the the, the biblical model or the biblical theology of grief and loss is for us to understand this one thing. God is with you in the middle of your wall. 
And God wants nothing more than to bring you through that wall slowly and carefully and methodically. And you will have people all around you who will not like that process. I remember laying in bed in the middle of this thing I was dealing with. I was sleeping in another room because I didn't want to wake Brenda up. And I remember getting a text from somebody at the church. And the message was, brother, if you would just repent for whatever it is you did, God would forgive you and heal your heart and you would recover. People are not going to like the slow process that you take with God because it's uncomfortable. Because they believe that the processes with God are fast. They believe that if you're doing the right things and you're acting the right way and you're saying the right things, that you run into trouble and then it's healed. And I do believe that God operates with deliverance. I know that some people have been delivered from things. But more often than not, God is interested in your development. And your development is a process. So be patient with yourself. Be patient with how you're reacting to whatever wall you're going through. Be patient with those around you. Be patient with God. And sit and say, God, what are you teaching me? So I just want to give you permission. I want to give you permission. Not that you need it, but I want to give you permission. The next time you run into a really difficult situation and those feelings begin to come up inside of you and you feel like crying, you cry. You cry. Men, you cry. It's okay. That thing that maybe your dad said to you, big boys don't cry. Think true. God wants to be with you in the midst of what you're going through. Brittany, would you come on up and we'll, we'll end. When, when the opportunity came up to choose a message in this series, this was the one that I felt most connected to. Because I don't know about you, but being in a place where you feel like it's all just about going to end changes you. And there's an argument for well, you know God is with you and you know God is there and you know God will pull you through. But when you are hearing people say to you, get your affairs in order. It's overwhelming. Or when maybe you are in a situation and a partner has said to you, I can't, I can't do it. What do you do with those feelings? 
or somebody so unexpectedly leaves this earth. Or all of a sudden, people that we've been supporting for so long have to flee their country for fear of death. I'm convinced that God is in the midst of that. And those are the areas of our life where we really, really grow. Pastor Larissa talked about us growing in the mundane. We love those high points of life. We love the high points. But for most of us, they're so few and far between. It's the day-to-day. It's the struggle. It's the hurt. It's the pain. And sometimes we don't even want to share with the people around us because we're afraid that, that maybe they will think less of us or less of our faith. Or heaven forbid, say something like, where is your faith? Or it's going to be okay. Because here's a reality, maybe it's not going to be okay. In the way that we term life, right? But there's still love and connection in those places. As we grieve losses, as we go through difficulty, as we struggle through things that other people want us to move quickly through, and we sit at the feet of Jesus as we cry out before the Lord our soul begins to make room for other people who will go through similar things and you will be the person who can sit with someone and walk through the difficulties with them what God wants from us. So Father, I, I, I know that this, this, this message doesn't feel great. <laughs> but Lord, may we be people who fully feel the emotion that you're bringing us or allowing us to feel in the moment. God, we are human. Let us live in that reality And let us process those emotions as they come, Lord God, to hear your voice and to connect with you. And as we do that, Lord, we will begin to receive from you more than we ever thought we could and love and joy and peace, real peace and patience, kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control will all begin to rise within us. We thank you.
as you work within us, Lord God. There's never been a time in my life where there's been as much grief. God, may we be planted in it and care and love for others in it. In Jesus' name. Amen. There's a, a, a friend of mine who I get to speak with every now and again. He is in a wheelchair. He has no feeling from his waist down. And one day he was leaning up against a heater and had no idea that his flesh was burning except that he could smell his flesh burning. Don't let your conditioning to not feel feelings hurt you to the point where it's unrecoverable. We've got to become people who feel because that is the human experience. How will you ever empathize with someone else if we can't feel in our own? Amen? Won't you stand with us as we enter back into worship?